Scripture reading this morning will be in James, book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. 13 through 18. And the Pew Bibles in front of you is on page 1074. 1074. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion of every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome. It encourages us that you're here. We do have a lot of way this morning, but it's good to be here together. And we're thankful for holidays that hopefully give us a little bit extra time to be with family, to enjoy family and friends. And especially a holiday like this to bring us back to appreciation of uh, things that we ought to appreciate. Memorial Day goes back. Uh, Shortly after the Civil War, family and friends wanted to remember those that lost their life in defending uh, the cause and the purpose of, uh, that they stood for. And of course, you know that since then, the federal government has made it a, a federal holiday uh, for us to set aside that time. And you know, the Word of God teaches us to honor, uh, to give honor to those uh, who deserve honor. And we also learn from the Holy Book that greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for another. And so we're thankful for those that have defended America, for those that, that have given their all. Uh, for uh, the freedoms that we have today. And we recognize that ultimately it's a gift and a blessing from God. uh, But we realize that God has always used men and women in his cause. And we're thankful that we have the opportunity of a memorial uh, such as tomorrow. I'd encourage you if you have children and grandchildren to talk to them about the blessing that we have in the memorial and the purpose of memorials as we have just observed uh, the greatest memorial that we ever partake of. Memorials are important all the way back from the beginning of the Old Testament. Memorials are important. Little boy beat continually on a drum, drove everybody, all the neighbors, everybody crazy. And so one thought they came up with a good solution. They gave all the neighbors earplugs. That didn't really help. Another went and had a talk with the little boy and explained to him that he's going to bust his own eardrums. That didn't help anything. Another neighbor bought a book and gave it to him. It's a book on meditation and urged the boy to realize how important it was to sometime have silence in his life. Neighbors tried several things, six, seven, eight of them. They tried different things. The little boy never quit beating the drum and never stopped driving them crazy. And finally, a wise man came up to the little boy and handed him a hammer and a chisel. And as he walked away, the wise man looked over his shoulder at the little boy and said, I wonder what's inside that drum. It was silent after that from that day on. You know, it's interesting, like when you try to define passion, it's sometimes hard to define passion. I feel the same way about wisdom. 
It's not always easy to define. I hope that after this month, you and I will say it's a lot easier to define than what we perhaps thought in the past. But here's what I love about passion. Here's what I love about wisdom. It may be from time to time a little bit difficult to define, but you always know it when you see it. And that is the beauty of God's wisdom. God's wisdom shines so that godly people see it and love it. Now keep in mind, people of the world will never appreciate the wisdom that we're studying about this month. I hope that we've been blessed with a study from God's word and that our heart has been stirred where if God gave us one wish, our wish would be, I want a heart of understanding. I want to be able to be used in your service in a wise and significant way for your cause as Solomon wanted to be used. Remember last week, though, we talked about the fact that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. You see, we can't have the wisdom that we're talking about if we do not fear God. I want you to imagine that you got a package in the mail, but the problem is you're not at home. So you receive a phone call from somebody at your house to say, hey, you got a package in the mail. You might say, what size is it? And they describe the size of the box. And then you say, well, what is it? And they say, I don't know. I didn't open it. What's your next question going to be? Every one of you. Your next question would be, where'd it come from? Oh, it's from a health food store. I, I remember, yeah, I remember ordering that. Oh, it's from a parts distributor. Okay, good, that, that part is in. Oh, it's from a clothing store. All right, now, now I remember ordering that. Isn't it amazing that where it is from changes everything? You don't expect to receive a, a piece of clothing from a parts distributor. You don't expect to receive godly wisdom except from the source of God. Now, for several weeks, we've been studying a lot of Old Testament passages. But before we close out this series, we can't help but go to James, the third chapter. The text has already been capably read. Every phrase is deep, is brilliant, is spectacular in helping us to see there is a wisdom. It's the wisdom of the world that we want to avoid. But there is a wisdom. It is the wisdom of God that we want to achieve. I hope you have your Bible open there. Let's look at James, the third chapter. Let's dive right in. Look at James, the third chapter and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? We live in a time where everybody wants to be an expert and it seems like everybody has an opinion. Now, if you'll pause and many of you have been reading a lot of Proverbs this month. And if you've been reading Proverbs, you realize how dangerous it is to always have an opinion. Wise people keep their mouth shut. Wise people understand they don't know everything about everything. You can tell we live in a foolish world. You bring up a topic at work and everybody knows about it. They don't really know about it. They're foolish. And they just think everybody ought to have an opinion. Everybody ought not have an opinion. Let's begin this morning. He asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? The typical person in America today would say, oh, I am, I am, as if that's all you got to do. People even preach, claim it. All you got to do is claim it. Oh, is that right? That's all you have to do is claim. I want to be wise. Okay, so I'm wise. No, not at all. Let's read, let's read the very next phrase in this same verse. Look at James 3 and 13. He's asked the question, who's wise among you? And he says, let him show. And then he says, by good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, 
You want to know who is wise and has understanding, which, by the way, I probably don't have to emphasize this since we've done it for three weeks. But remember, all through the scriptures, there are things that always reoccur when you study wisdom, like the idea of understanding, the idea of knowledge, the idea of discretion. We see it mixed throughout the Old and the New Testament. So here it's the idea of wisdom and understanding. Who has wisdom? Who has understanding? Oh, I do. I do. No, no. He says, you find the person that can show it. In other words, you find the person that their life can prove it. That's the person that is wise. We all have, have seen and or participated in show and tell. We know what it is to tell something. It's an entirely different thing to say, I have it. I own it. This is mine. Can we show and tell about wisdom? Now, the interesting thing is that when we can do that, we are humble and we have no desire to show it for our own benefit. We always want to show it for the glory of God. But let's see what we're going to show. Look there in verse 13, and we're going to see three things just in this one verse that he says that, that wisdom is going to prove. It's going to be shown there by good conduct. That's lifestyle. Conduct. Conduct is daily behavior. You put together daily behavior, and that's your lifestyle. But notice he didn't just say any lifestyle. It wouldn't be wisdom from above if it was just any lifestyle. He says good behavior, good conduct. The word good comes from the idea of beautiful. It comes from the idea of moral or virtuous. And so he says, you show who's wise, who has understanding, the person that can show a lifestyle that lives a good, a beautiful, beautiful by God's standard, morally virtuous living. But notice, it's not just the lifestyle, even though this is somewhat implied in it. Look at the very next phrase. Show by good conduct that his works are done. You see, it is a lifestyle, but it's a lifestyle where all of our works all of our deeds are done that reveal a great wisdom. Can I state the real obvious here? We cannot go out and do foolish things and then raise our hand and say, I've got the wisdom and the understanding of God. And listen, it doesn't matter what excuses we give. We can say, oh, well, that's just the way it is. I was born that way. Or that's just the way my family's always done it. Listen. My family may have always done things in a foolish way. I may have been doing things for years in such a foolish way that I say, that's the way I am. It still doesn't take away from the fact that I cannot claim godly wisdom if my lips or my actions are continually doing foolish things. And so the third thing that he points out is it's a lot about an attitude. See there in verse 13, good conduct, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. The word meekness there is, is a beautiful word. It's, it's, it's the idea of the spirit of gentleness. And, and like if, if, if someone says, hey, did so-and-so talk to you? And they said, and you'd smile and say, yes, they did. And they spoke with the most gentle voice. That immediately paints a picture. Now, there's an entirely different picture when you say, yes, they did. And they yelled at me. They were mean in what they said. Or we think about a 
gentle breeze. Or we think about a tornado. We think about a gentle horse. Or we think about a wild stallion. Now note here, there's a reason why he says the person that can claim wisdom and understanding is a person that has a lifestyle and works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. It's the idea of power brought under control. They have this meekness. They have this gentleness. Now, isn't this beautiful? The meekness or the gentleness is controlled by what? It's right there, isn't it? Wisdom. He says, you want to brighten. Now, how elementary can this be? God says, you want to say and you want to raise your hand when the question is asked, who among you is wise? Who among you has understanding? It comes down to this. Is your life controlled by wisdom? Wisdom is powerful. And it's taking all the power within us and it's placing us under the control of what is wise. And so for the next several verses, what he's going to do is he's going to say, there is a worldly wisdom that you can place yourself under and it's not good. And there is a wisdom that is from above that we can place ourselves under and it is a tremendous blessing. Let's go to verse 14 and let's see this false wisdom that, that it exists, but it's not true wisdom. Look at verse 14 and 15. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, notice the location, in your hearts, do not lie, do not boast or lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So we think about first the motive. Where does this wisdom that is not from above, where does it come from? Well, we know from the heart, the heart is where the motives lie. If this next slide, we see Proverbs, the fourth chapter. We're not going to read that. We've read it in the past few weeks. You see there in Proverbs 4 and 20, but when you go down to 23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Everything that you talk about is because of what's in your heart. Everything that you do, the way you do it is because of what's in your heart. And so he says there is a wisdom that your conduct might reveal the wisdom of the world. And he says, if so, it's because of the motive that's in your heart. Now let's back up a slide and let's go back. And I'd like for you to see the two things there in 14 where he says that it's in the heart of one that has worldly wisdom. Look at this. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, if that's in your heart, you have wisdom that is driven by flesh. Bitter, you've tasted something and, and it's kind of repulsive and you're like, oh, and, and you want to push away from it. Bitter envy. Envy is the very same word. It's the same idea of jealousy. It's the idea that I do not want someone else to excel. I do not want someone else to have a blessing in their life. I'm going to have jealousy about it. He says, I'm going to have bitter jealousy. In other words, it's a jealousy that makes situations very negative. Now notice this next thing. The next thing was self-seeking in your heart. The jealousy is fueled by the self-seeking. 
The self-seeking, now this is really neat too, when you do word studies to see, the self-seeking could also be translated striving, strife. How is self-seeking and strife, how does that come from the same word? You put one person in a family, just one person in a peaceful family, they were peaceful before this one person came along, that is self-seeking. And all of a sudden, there'll be strife in that family because that person will make sure there's strife in the family because it's always a competitive nature. It's always, I have got to make sure that you are putting me first. I've got to make sure that I'm putting me first. Self-seeking. I hope, and if you haven't in the past, because you've been studying it this month, I hope that most reality TV is repulsive to you because most reality TV is driven by self-promoting people. It's the idea of, I want you to see me. I want you to see how I'm better than everybody else. And it is completely foolish. You and I should not find joy in foolishness. Watching whether it's high schoolers or if it's middle-agers or if it's retirees walking around thinking they're all this. It's self-promotion. It ought to be something that we look at and say, I don't want anything to do with that. Why? Because it's from the world. Well, in the next few verses, we'll see it's demonic. And so we say, well, what does it cause? That's what fuels jealousy. That's what fuels the fighting. And what do the producers of reality TV want? They always want good fights because that's what people think that are foolish, think that's entertaining. And so that's what gives them viewers. And so how are you going to make sure that on your show you have a lot of fights? You have to have self-promoters. You take the self-promoters out of the show, you're not going to have any conflict. You're going to have peacemakers. Even though it may not sell shows to America, that by a rule of thumb is very foolish because it's fleshly. Surely we as Christians can see beyond that. And we can see that our life ought to not be about promoting self, but that our life ought to be 100% about promoting God. Now, when we look at the, the very next phrase, we see that the actions still in verse 14. If you have your Bible open there, look and look, notice the action there. The bitter envy, the self-seeking heart. What, is it, what does it lead to? He says, do not boast and lie against the truth. It's interesting how the boasting the boasting is the idea of, I need to boast about how great I am. I need to, because of that envy, I need to criticize how weak you are. You see, it's the idea of, let me lift, and, and he says, you realize all you're doing is lying against the truth. I don't say this with any, any joy. But I can tell you this, I've been in ministry long enough you see this lived out. I can think about individuals that have declared 
that everybody in this congregation are sinners. We are. But we're horrible people. And we're just not good people. And there's so much wrong with that congregation. And they declare themselves to be self-righteous and everybody else around them. And then you see where those individuals are today. And you see the worldly living that they're doing today. And you see that they've lost, they've left the church today. Listen, their sin didn't begin when they left the church and began worldly living. Their sin began when they were back in the midst of the church, self-promoting themselves and putting down everybody around them. Listen to me. If you think that it's really cool to promote how great you and your family is, you've got problems with pride and it is wisdom of the world that's ruling you. And that always has sowing and reaping and what the reaping is down the road is not going to be pretty at all. What we need to promote is God. We promote God and his cause. We don't have any boasting to do of ourselves. The only boasting that we need to boast is with the truth, not lying against the truth. When we look at the characteristics, I tell you what, I've had several questions about this. I'm going to go ahead. If, if you have a pen and you want to jot these down, this is the problem with our culture today teaching self-confidence. Self-confidence is so ungodly. We don't teach our children to believe in yourself so that you can stand up for yourself, so that you can do great things in life. We teach our children to believe in God and stand with God no matter who does or who doesn't. You stand with God and everything's going to be okay. If that seems foreign, I beg you to study God's wisdom deeper until that seems at home and what seems foreign to you is to try to urge an adult or a child to find their confidence in self. But here's some verses you can study along the way. Proverbs 3, 21 through 26. He begins there in 21. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. There's two descriptions we've been studying. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble when you lie down. You will not be afraid. And see, a lot of people right there would call that self-confidence. That's not. That's not self-confidence. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Notice, trouble's coming. He didn't say it would stop coming. He says you don't have to be afraid of it. Why? For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You want to stay out of a life that you don't need to live? Put your confidence in God. Put your confidence in yourself and your foot's going to be caught. You're going to be found in a life that you ought not to be living. Proverbs 14 and 16. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Self-confidence urges people to believe that you really know slightly more than God. That's why we studied last week that the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. And whenever we put our total fear in God and say, I will place myself in you. I have no confidence in me. All of my confidence is in you. Then we can be strong. 
because we're standing with the strongest being that's ever been and ever will be. Proverbs 14 and 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. There's nowhere greater that we could put our life, put our children, put anybody we love than have confidence that is found only through God. We ought to teach our children. You ought to be afraid to walk out of the house in the morning unless your confidence is not in God. Because it's a foolish thing to live a moment without our confidence being in God. Philippians third chapter, it's kind of a lengthy passage. I'm going to skip some here. But if you'll notice in Philippians three, beginning of verse three, towards the latter part of verse three, Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. But then he said, if you wanted to boast about it, he said, I could out brag you. He's kind of, he's being serious here, but it's kind of funny that he says it that way. But he's saying, I could out boast you if you wanted to boast about confidence in the flesh. But here's what he's going to do in verse eight. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the, and he's talking about things that he otherwise would boast of for himself. He says, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him and not having my own righteousness. Paul, you are a great missionary. You do so much. You must have the greatest confidence in yourself. He says, are you kidding me? Have you not been reading my writings? Have you not been reading the old covenant? Have you not been reading the new covenant? What have you been reading? My confidence in my, isn't in myself. If my confidence is in myself, I'd be weak. Paul would loudly and clearly say, my strength is because I find my confidence only in God. Wisdom of the world says, believe in yourself. Self-promote really how strong you are. And what that'll do is it'll fuel jealousy so that you'll start putting down other people because that makes you feel stronger. You got that? When you start believing in yourself, you think that the way you can be stronger is to put others down. But if instead we say our cause is in God and we want God's cause to be exalted and lifted high, then if I truly believe that, I'm going to do everything I can do to help you. And if you truly believe it, you're going to do everything you can do to help me. And it's not going to be a jealousy issue. Our confidence is going to be found in God and we want God's cause to excel, to do well and everyone who's involved in it. So let's go back and let's look now at James the third chapter and let's see the characteristic of this worldliness that is fueled by self-promotion. Notice verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but notice it's earthly and sensual and demonic. Earthly is the very idea that it's, it's tied to time and space. If you were here, the first lesson of this series, you remember that the very universe was created by the wisdom of God. It exists, the wisdom of God exists before time. The masterpiece of this universe is because of wisdom. And so notice, if we believe in earthly wisdom, we believe in something that is tied to this universe and it is tied within the realm of time. We want to pull from wisdom that is beyond the earth and it is not living and dwelling within the scope of time. It is eternal. But then notice when, when he says sensual, it's the very same thing as fleshly. We want to pull from man's wisdom. Do you realize 
the highest of man's wisdom, the highest of man's wisdom would not even get close to touching the lowest of God's wisdom. Let's flip forward a slide real quick. I wanted 1 Corinthians 1.25. It was hard for me to decide this week to preach to you from either 1 and 2 Corinthians or this James the third chapter. And so if you want to read more about wisdom and earthly wisdom and godly wisdom, go back and study 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's rich, just like James 3 is rich. I just want you to notice this one passage. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying if you would put on, on some kind of bar graph and you would say, let's take the strongest or the, the wisest person on earth and let's, let's put their wisdom. Their wisdom would come right here. And then he'd say, let's take the foolishness of God. And the foolishness of God would be out of the roof. And he said, it doesn't even come close. Well, what if you took the wisdom of God? What if you put the strength of man? What can man do? Compare that to God. What can God do? The weakness of God is so much greater. And so when we think about you receive a package in the mail, does it matter who it's from? You want wisdom. Does it matter who it's from? Who it's from changes everything. You want it to be earthly? My wisdom came from the earth. I just experienced a lot of things and I tried to really capitalize on that experience and I tried to make sure that each time I did it a little better. Okay, so maybe you can get up to here. What if instead you say, I'm going to do things the way God says to do it? I said this to you several weeks ago. I'm going to say it for emphasis. I believe there's a lot of 15-year-olds that are wholly dedicated to God that are far wiser than 75-year-olds on this earth far wiser. And I don't say that to disrespect a 75-year-old. I'm just saying it to say the wisdom that we're talking about does not come through just life experiences. The wisdom we're talking about comes from saying, I know that it's only from God. The fear of God, I want to submit to you in all things. That's what produces wisdom. So obviously, a 75-year-old that fears God has amazing wisdom because they've also seen God's wisdom work throughout a lifetime which just makes it even a greater clarity and understanding of it. But then notice he also says demonic, the idea of devilish, the idea of, okay, it's earthly, it's fleshly, and it's from Satan. Who would want something like that when we could have something that is eternal, spiritual, and from God? Surely what he offers is so much greater. So what's the result? Let's look at the results and then tonight uh, we'll come back and finish the positive side of this. Look in James 3 and 16. Here's the, the, the negative results. And you know, this is the beauty of just preaching scripture, okay? The main point of where we began this series when we studied in Proverbs and saw that, that the order, remember that? The order of the earth is because of the wisdom of God, the DNA. Where did that kind of structure come from? The, the seasons all coming in order, just all of the, in other words, the earth is not chaotic. There is a system, there is an order. Notice when we don't have the wisdom of God in our life. We talked about that then, but notice how it is here in James 3.16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, so that was the two things that were motives that get us off on the wrong foot of wisdom. What's going to be the result? Here's, here's the fruit that is produced. Confusion and every evil thing. Confusion. 
There is nothing attractive about that word confusion. You look at relationships that are just pulled apart. There's confusion there and it's painful. You look at lives where they just don't get along with anybody. There's confusion there. Everywhere they turn, there's confusion. You look at finances where we say they're upside down. What it is, is there's confusion there. You look all throughout life and you see all of this disorder and you say, where does that come from? James says, that's the wisdom of the world. You want confusion? And then he could not say it more general when he says, and all evil things. Evil is shameful. And he says, every all the shameful things, all the badness. Where did it come from? That's where it came from. How does it affect our lives? I told Tracy last night. I said, you know, I've just had a bum week. I hear about a person that had an orderly life. And you watch them throw it away. And you watch them throw it away one little decision at a time. But every one of those decisions are a reflection of the foolishness of the world that the world calls wisdom. I beg you. I beg you to realize that if we are leaving God's knowledge to seek whatever makes us feel good, we are starting down a foolish path that will lead to confusion, disorder. Things will start falling apart and we don't like it. And evil. We ought to be ashamed of evil. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. But every individual has to make their choice. There's nobody here that can be wise for somebody else. We each decide if we want the wisdom of God in our life. I hope you'll come back tonight. Tonight we're going to look at those last two verses that describe the beauty of God's wisdom. The life that is produced... Listen, we all don't want to be wise for our, our own soul's sake. But if you have people around you that you love, are you listening? If you have people around you that you love and you don't want to hurt them, you better be wise because when we become foolish, we not only hurt ourselves, we hurt people around us. What a blessing. God gives you and I the opportunity to live a life that we will be the best people that we can be for His cause, for ourselves, and even for those that we're around. We don't pull from that wisdom, we blow it. We blow it. And really, what has a person gained? If they gain the whole world and all the world's wisdom and lose their own soul. This morning, if your life isn't right with God, why not doing the wise thing this morning? Turning over to Him, the beginning of that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Why not fear Him? Put it all in His hands. If you're ready to be immersed in Christ or you're ready to be restored, if we